Welcome to the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of Brian, your host, and his guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested. So please, consume at your own risk. Now, here's Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back once again to the show. Appreciate you listening still and forever. My guest for the fourth time today is my friend Chris Christensen. For those that are just joining us for the first time, or if it's been a minute, three years ago, Chris was diagnosed with stage four chondrosarcoma, an aggressive bone cancer in his pelvis, and was literally weeks from the disease taking his life. To save him, Doctors performed a grueling surgery called a pelvectomy, and yes, it's as harrowing as it sounds. The entire left side of his pelvis had to be amputated, and in the process, he lost a perfectly good left leg. Needless to say, his life was forever changed, and this interview is part four in a series of life check-ins to see how he is often winning the battle to get his life back to a somewhat normal state, and also a deep dive into the darkest recesses of his soul, where he often ends up while trying to make sense of the why behind this new journey. He tells me that dying would have been easy. Living is the hardest part. Well, Chris, thank we you, man, for coming on again. This is uh, episode four of your amazing story. And it's yeah, been a minute since we've chatted and you have done a whole lot of stuff and made a lot of progress. So uh, start. Where are you at now? Where's How's the adjustment continual adjustment to your new your 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 life now are we and we're also two years post-surgery correct that's three years now three wow three years yeah i just celebrated my third year anniversary wow just a couple weeks ago september 23rd or september 22nd was third year that is hard to believe yeah and you've been skiing and climbing and what else let's see I tried my hand at uh, the driving range, tried Saw my it. hand at rock climbing, indoor rock climbing. Yeah. Tried my hand at skiing, um, only on one leg, mind you. Of course. Uh, and let's see, what else have I done? I was going to go into rowing uh, this uh, summertime, but I never did quite make the make the meetings fit into my schedule, so I I had to bail out on that. I had too many other things going on and became sort of a secondary priority, but I could have done rowing too. Well, the day is young. Maybe you still can. Yeah. Next summer. Yeah. Next summer. You know, when I saw your, your video of you skiing a long time ago, when I was in high school and I skied a lot, I just, I think I saw somebody missing a leg skiing and I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give that a try. So I just, would go down and run and just hold one ski, you know, one leg up and try to do it with one. And it's, it's a whole different mind game. And I, obviously, oh, obviously I, I had the other leg there to balance, but I can imagine the, just the whole balancing issue of, of doing that. Oh yeah. It's totally different game. Uh, you know, before I lost my leg, I was, um, I was all right as a skier, pretty good skier actually. And, um, 
And I could go down steeps and I could go down fast and I didn't get overly freaked out. But um, one ski uh, with those outrigger ski poles and I was on the bunny slope. And let me tell you, it was <laughs> it was frightening. Uh, I don't know when I've been so scared on a pair of skis. So, yeah, it was it's a whole new world, man. And what's the biggest fear? Well, it's the fear of it's the same fear of anything now that I've got one leg and it's the fear of falling because I've fallen numerous times now and it hurts whenever you fall, when you get to be, uh, you know, grown up size, it's a lot farther to the ground when you fall than it is when you're two and you're trying to figure out how to walk. So, um, you know, uh, it, it's it's just that fear of falling and getting yourself hurt because I have hurt myself. In fact, I tore up my left biceps tendon because I was uh, because I'd taken a fall, tried to brace myself and it tore up that tendon. And now my arm is really out of out of commission for a little while. So, you know, end up on your face and it's a totally different thing. Since we chatted last time, like what's been some of the biggest aha moments or or is every day new like normal life or or are there yeah. are you constantly learning new things well every day is a learning experience there are things that have become kind of you know um things of habit things of just kind of become second nature now um you know how do you get around in the morning you got to get up put on your artificial leg and do all of that kind of stuff that becomes kind of normal anymore but um it's still there there are still times when the reality of what has happened really sinks in and you start to come to grips with the fact that oh yeah i am missing a leg oh yeah i am missing my colon oh yeah um these things have been such taken such a toll that you know now i've sacrificed all of those body parts then i had to, ended up having to sacrifice my career on top of it it gets to be it can get into a uh again get you into a spiral pretty quick uh and then you put on top of that the pains there there are phantom pains when you're missing a limb and i got to tell you they uh they are real and they are powerful and when those hit it reminds you very quickly that you used to have another leg and then it reminds you that um, this one-legged lifestyle is not exactly one that you'd want to wish on anybody and i know in the beginning you were you said that you were you know you got into these dark holes that you kept you know trying to get yourself out of or do you is that easier to avoid now well you, you know when this? i yeah, that's a very good question. When I got out of the hospital initially, I had made a commitment to myself to never go down the rabbit hole. That's what like I call it. Why and yeah, the why me and oh poor poor Chris and all that stuff. And I think for the most part I've done that. It's just that there are times when the reality and, and the difficulties of living this way really sink in. And, and when that happens, it calls you out of your reverie or out of your, um, you know, you're just 
day-to-day going about doing stuff. And when you get called out like that, like all of a sudden something really hurts or, oh, you tripped and you fell or, um, you know, something crazy happens. And then you start wondering, oh man, what what is the greater lesson to learn here? Why is this happening? And um, whenever you start asking why, around these kinds of questions, you know that you're going to end up in a, you're, you're never going to end up in a good place the minute you start asking why. So uh, I've learned that asking why is a very tempting, but very dangerous question to ask. Yeah, you don't want to go down the why road unless you're prepared to sit in the rabbit hole for a while. So what has been the biggest or have you had answers to maybe not the why, but the what have what's the biggest thing I've learned from this? Um, the biggest thing that I've learned from this to date has got to be that um, it's the relationships that matter the most. It doesn't matter if you have both your legs. It doesn't matter if you have both your arms. It doesn't matter if you have all of your body parts. What matters most is how well you've taken care of your relationships. Because it's very easy when things go wonky, it's very easy to take your frustrations out on the people with whom you have good relationships. In fact, I I think it's a truth that when you get frustrated about something, you take it out on the people you love the most because they're the people you love the most. And so you take it out on them. And I know it's stupid thinking, but I think that's what human beings tend to do. And, you know, I don't think I'm any different. I think that I've taken taken it out on my relationships when I've gotten in one of those funks. And it it's it's never good to do that. And it's never good to have to come to realize that that's what you're doing. And then you end up having to repair and sometimes those repairs cost a lot of relationship capital. But if you can if you can keep your eye on the relationships first and foremost, I think then that's probably the thing that's going to save you the most. And I think that's the lesson that I've been learning the most powerfully. Are those relationships, I assume you're talking about your family, your immediate well, yeah, family? It's, yeah, it's anybody with whom you have a, 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 an important interpersonal relationship with my spouse, my children, my friends, um, you know, people you go to church with, people you meet in, in your neighborhood, but it starts with those who are the most close to you. So, you know, my poor wife probably gets most of the brunt of uh, things when I get frustrated. She probably has to bear mo- the most of that. My children get spared a lot of it. Uh, but even they are subject to some of those things. And then, you know, then sometimes my friends end up feeling some of the wrath of my, uh, of my funk whenever that happens. Uh, so it, when I remember that it's the relationship that matters, then it kind of calls you out of going in the, in that funky place in the first place. Okay. All these relationships you're referring to, are they stronger and better? now um well i i think that's a good question i think that yes they are 
but it's a it's a qualified yes. That is, uh, you know, after you um, heap some challenge onto those people that you love the most, and then you come back and you try to repair it, the repair efforts can be very sweet. You can end up with some very sweet moments uh, when you repair that relationship. That can be very sweet. But every time you do that, every time you take something out on somebody else because of your own situation, you're eating away at the relationship capital. And so the relationship becomes more and more fragile. And not to say that my relationships are about to break or anything, because I, I don't believe they are, but you can get a sense that if I push this too hard or if I don't try fixing things right now, I could do damage that I could never repair. And, you know, don't want to drive my wife away, don't want to drive my kids away, don't want to drive my friends away. But if I heap the if I heap the emotional stuff that's swirling around in that rabbit hole and heap it upon them, then you know, sooner or later they'll get tired of it and they'll walk. So guard those relationships. They're the most precious thing you've got. And while they see what you're going through, they don't know what you're going through. You can only explain it to, you know, to a certain level to have people understand. I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no one, you, no one really knows what somebody else is really going through. Like, I don't know what you're really going through and you can only guess at what I'm really going through just simply because we're talking about, it, you can get a good idea. It's hard to say for sure. It's hard to say. I think in the dealing with the relationships, like if I, if I realize that I've caused some damage to a relationship and I try to figure it all out and make a repair to that relationship, I think I get a better understanding of where they're coming from. And whether they understand where I am coming from almost becomes irrelevant because that's not what matters anymore. It's not where I'm coming from. It's what I, it's like, if you and I got into a fight, an argument or whatever right now, and I wanted to fix that, the only thing that would really have to matter to me is how is Brian feeling about it? Not how Chris is feeling. Yeah, it makes sense. And so, and so um, I learned, I would learn more about you by doing that than I would about me. So I'd be, I'd have to care more about you. I'd have to, I'd have to put myself at bay and, and make sure that my efforts were all about making and making my relationship with you better. So you've evolved and become a more compassionate person. Yes. Through this. Whole In many experience. ways, I think so. In many ways, I think I have. In some ways, I think I become callous. And in some ways, I've just become oblivious. Sometimes there are things people are going through that I don't recognize as being a challenge. And I'll just miss it. Totally miss it. Miss the mark. Miss the opportunity to crawl into their world and help them out. Is that something you think you would have been less callous to prior to this? You know, I don't know. I think it may be a personality characteristic, perhaps could just be a personality trait where um, we get, I get oblivious to other people's sufferings, which doesn't mean that I'm actively trying to disrespect them or anything. It's just, I'm oblivious to it. I don't you, realize you, that they're struggling. Well, and you have your own 
it's hard sometimes when your own challenges are screaming. Yeah, that's the point is when when you're so caught up in your own pains because when it hurts it hurts it when it hurts it really hurts and when you get caught in that you can't you just can't see other people and their sorrows and their suffering and so even if i am heaping abuse upon my wife for something that i'm doing if i'm if i'm in pain i can't i simply just can't see that i'm doing it because you're clouded your vision's clouded that's exactly right you mentioned phantom pains, and I don't want to just gloss over that. Let's say you have a pain in your knee that's no longer there. Do you, where do you feel that pain? So, right now, the outside ankle of my left foot itches, and I don't have a left foot. But if I were to close my eyes, I could point to exactly where it is on my body. But that part of my body isn't there anymore. So it's like your brain is like your it's like itches in your brain. That is wild. Like I can feel it exactly on on where on my foot it is. It's just right below the ankle bone and it's itching. And I want to scratch it. But there's what nothing to scratch. What does that look like? Yeah. Where do you scratch? Or what do you do? How do you get through that? Uh you just have to you have to put it out of your mind. You have to somehow distract yourself to to uh, forget that you're even feeling it otherwise you go crazy absolutely crazy because it itches i mean it's itchy right now i want to scratch it it's like just go slam your thumb in a door to, to, to that's called diversion therapy that's right holy cow that is wild that's... i can feel my hamstring get a cramp every now and again but i don't have it like a charlie horse or something that you yeah. can't that yeah. is so wild. Just want to stretch it. Well, that kind of goes to show you that your body has, I mean, energy that's still there. I don't know. That, that would be interesting to have some astrophysicists try to explain. And I'm sure you probably know more about this than most people, but huh. explain how that works. Oh, well, I don't know. All I know is when they went in and took off my leg, of course, all of the all those nerves had to get cut, but somehow the ends of the nerves that go to where my ankle is, for example, there's still a piece of that nerve that's left in what's left of the stump of where my leg used to be. There's still, you know, the, where that, where that nerve left the spinal column, it's, there's still a little end of it right there. And somehow or other that gets stimulated and it makes it feel like there's an itch that needs to be scratched. And um, I don't know how that works. I couldn't possibly tell you. All I know is that um, by having those nerves dangling out there, um, even though they're trimmed way back, it's like, so it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like grapevines, you know, and you trim the grapevines way back. But there's still those runners, those shooters that come out of the main main trunk of the grapevine. And even though you put, cut them all the way back to the main vine, those runners will still grow out there every season and grow new grapes. That's just what they do. And they know exactly where to go. And uh, same here with the nerves. 
well, maybe we should start grafting ourselves with grapevines or something. So if those can grow back and it's just a plant. Hey, my wife is in Spain right now and she was walking through their wine country and she was pilfering grapes off of grapevines and uh, eating them while she's walking out there in the middle of Spain. And um, she said they were really good grapes. <laughs> yeah. And she's doing this. Uh, how long is this? jaunt she's doing i saw a little it's bit five, about that 500 miles she's walking the camino de santiago de la compostela is that like the their equivalent of the is that their equivalent of the appalachian trail sort of it's a christian pilgrimage from france all the way to santiago spain oh this is an interesting story so the legend is that the bones of saint james the apostle of jesus christ his bones were buried out in Western Spain, out near the seacoast, making the burial place a holy ground for Christians. And so in the Middle Ages, it became uh, popular for Christians, almost, almost a responsibility for Christians to make pilgrimages to these major holy sites. And of course, if you've got bona fide bones of an apostle buried in Spain, that's a bona fide uh, holy site so you got to go make a pilgrimage and so Christians since the Middle Ages have been going back and forth across Spain to go out there and pay homage to the bones of St. James um, you know this is James of Peter, James and John vintage mm -hmm. and um, so you go out there and pay your homage to James and then go back home um, but I just learned as as my wife is walking across Spain with her friend, it's a 500 mile trek. They go over the Pyrenees mountains uh, in France and then come down into the low levels, lowlands of Spain and march across the desert areas there all the way until they get to the West coast of Spain. So that journey is going to take them 40 days <clears throat> to make it. Um, but as they go, they stop overnight in these cities, these little towns along the way. And I'm writing up a little summary of the history of those towns where they're staying so that they can get a sense of, you know, the history of where they are and what they're doing. And as I've been doing this, it's been blowing my mind. It's been an absolutely mind-blowing experience discovering some of the history of some of these things. Because if you remember your history lessons, the Moors came and invaded Spain in the 700s. So these were the Muslims that came up from North Africa, came into Spain and conquered Spain, um, kicking the Christians out. Well, by the end of the uh, beginning of the 10th century, right in there, the, the Christians had had enough of Moorish rule, and so they wanted to get it back. So they started having these battles. And miraculously, in the 800s, 900s, the bones of St. James were miraculously discovered out in Western Spain to create this holy site, which means that pilgrims are going to come, which means that now all of a sudden all these towns are going to pop up to support pilgrims, which means Christian immigration is going to start happening in northern Spain. And without shedding blood, they repopulated northern Spain with Christians pushing the Moors further out of the country and it was a political stunt more than it was a religious stunt they used religion as a way to have 
uh, a battle over the over the Moors for the for the control of Spain. It's fascinating, fascinating stuff. That's something I either wasn't paying attention or never got taught. Yeah, well, I'm I'm learning about it as we go. Because you're her her sort of her tour guide from afar. From afar, yeah, from three thousand, four thousand miles away. And she's doing with this with friends. Yeah, she's got a friend she met in Connecticut, and uh, her family is from. Well, she came from Venezuela, but her family originated in Santiago, Spain. And so she has for a long time wanted to make this pilgrimage to go visit her ancestral roots. Not that she's Catholic because she's not, but um, just because she wanted to uh, see what her ancestors would have experienced, what they would have found. So she decided this was the year and she wanted to have a traveling companion. So she invited Andrea to go along with her. So there they are. They're in Spain right now. That's exciting. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, one o'clock in the morning in Spain right now. So either they're sleeping, one thirty, walking, walking through the moonlight. Yeah, well, they'll be up. They'll be up here in about four hours, five hours, and then they're gonna start walking again. Wow, that would be because it's still hot. Yeah, it's still hot over there. It's in the upper eighties. Yeah, talk to me about um your your career situation and where that's left you ah and the the the, the good bad and the ugly of that well my career situation definitely has taken a nosedive since all of this cancer stuff first hit of course my uh employer kept my job for me while i was recovering from the original cancer surgery but as one thing led to another and um my recovery started to go on and on. My employer couldn't hold open my job for me any longer. So they waited as long as they could, but then they had to terminate my employment because they had to fill the job with somebody else who could actually be there and get the job done. The job still needed to be done. I just couldn't do it. So they had to, they got somebody else who could. Well, since then I have, uh, applied for numerous other jobs that are in the same industry, same, same sort of functional area of of, uh, the industry. So it's all learning and development training stuff. And I have been shortlisted with a number of organizations. Uh, In fact, on three occasions, I have been shortlisted as one of the final candidates, but when they see me in person, and they see that I'm on an, uh, an artificial leg, the very next thing they do is they call me up and they say, oh, well, we're going in a new direction with this role, with this position. Oh, I love that phrase. Yeah. We're too afraid to tell you what the real deal is. So we're going to say we're going in a different direction. Yeah. So um, even though I was the most qualified candidate on for sure two of the three ex- uh, jobs and the third one, it was probably 50-50, but um, rather than be overtly discriminating the guy who only has one leg, they just, quote, go in a different direction, end quote. So I will testify to my dying day that discrimination exists against the disabled, which is crazy because I lost my leg. I didn't lose my bloody mind. Yeah, and your mind is what that's that's your biggest tool. And you're 
tool chest of what you do, correct? Well, it's the only tool in your tool chest, really. I mean, that and I suppose your voice. But Which you still have both. Things, yeah, those weren't taken from me. So I don't know why people think that when you lose your leg, you lose your mind. But it's happened now on so many occasions that um, I've almost given up hope. There, there was just one opportunity that came through on Thursday of last week um, doing training stuff for uh, a major Ivy League school out here where I would, where somebody needs it, where they need a training director who can work with their administrative staff, not with their faculty members, but with the administrative side of the operation. So I threw my hat into that arena and um, I put in, I put in an application on Friday. I don't know what's happened yet, but I'm sure something will happen soon. And if they tell me that they're going in another direction with the role, then I'll know for sure it's a sign from heaven that I got to do something different. You should write a book about and call it, we're going in a different direction. Going in a different direction. Which means we we don't have the balls to tell you why. And I know legally they can't and because they open themselves up for lawsuits, but it's so patronizing to anyone to say that. Oh, it's terribly patronizing. And you know that's what's happening. Oh, you know, for sure it's what's happening. Everybody knows that's what's happening, but nobody's saying that that's what's happening because then it would make the charade over. Yeah, it would bring it down. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if I should go back to school and get another degree and start going down a completely different direction of my life. Andrea just graduated from social work school. She's tried to convince me that I ought to go back to social work school and then I'd find a job working with um amputees who are struggling she's she thinks that would be a good idea i don't know it might be a good idea but i don't know if i could do that kind of work part of me wants to write books and stuff but i don't know well you can do both you can write books and do other stuff but do you do you enjoy the 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 career and the line of work that you've had enough that you want, would want to pursue that could you do that on, like, on a freelance basis and be a consultant type situation well, maybe that- you have to have a you have to have a good Rolodex to turn that into a business, right? And I don't have a Rolodex, uh, at least not one of any size anymore. And so, and, and for uh, you younger folks that are listening, a Rolodex, look it up, <laughs> look it up. <laughs> yeah, Google Rolodex. Ro- Rolodex, pre cell phone. <laughs> Or you actually had to remember and write things down. But anyway. You had to write phone numbers down before mm-hmm. you know, before Siri could dial them for you. Um, so you gotta have you gotta you've gotta have a lot of contacts like that. And I don't right now. So it would be very challenging to monetize a career as a consultant at this point. But um, there's nothing stopping me from writing. I enjoy writing. I'll and probably you're, you're, write some stuff. You're good at it. I just the things you've you've how you've journaled this experience on your on your page. Uh what what it just it's just on your chrischristensen.com page, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you're yeah. very eloquent in your communication. Well, time. that's kind. Well, that, never mind. I was gonna put my foot in my mouth. Oh, this is the show for that. No, 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 no. I'm, I'll, I'll save this till it's not being recorded. Okay.
Well, what's the biggest question you want to have an answer to? What's one thing that you think everybody wants to know about? I think we've talked before. And when I post this, I'm going to put links to all the other three episodes. If somebody wants to hear the whole series about just, well, here, here's, here's perhaps the biggest tidbit. So maybe this will make it past the cutting room floor. When I started this journey, I said earlier that I didn't want to go down the rabbit hole and get all sorry for myself and everything. And I meant it. And I really worked hard at it. But it's amazing how your body conspires against you sometimes and how circumstances get in the way. And when you start having aches and pains that you can't explain, when jobs don't work out that you know you should get, when things don't turn out any way like you wanted them to, it's hard to fight against all that all the time. And so you do end up going down the rabbit hole. At first, I thought it was a character flaw. And I beat myself up over it. I beat myself up over going down into the, into the dark places every now and again. But I've come to realize that that's not the right way to look at it. Um, it's, it's not a character flaw at all. It's part of the human experience. But just as I learned earlier that the secret to get keeping staying out of the rabbit hole was my service to other people. When you get down deep in there, you don't remember to serve others or you can't figure out a way to serve them. And so what you need is service from somebody else. So just as much as you need to serve to prevent yourself from going down the rabbit hole, when you do end up in the rabbit hole, because you will, you need other people. You need other people to be there to serve you as much as you wanted to serve other people to prevent yourself from going down there in the first place. So it's a game of give and take. And it's not always easy to take. It's almost easier to give. It's almost easier to sacrifice everything you've got and give it to somebody else than it is to take the help from somebody else. Allowing someone but, else to serve you is, oh yeah. if you don't, you're stealing their blessings. It is one of the most humbling experiences of my life is to let somebody else serve me. But if I don't do it, wherein can they be blessed? Amen. I guess that question would be you, that you probably at some point just feel completely useless and why, why be here? Has, there that, are times. Go down there. Are there. Times, mm -hmm, there are times that that's that's one of the rooms in the rabbit hole. Uh, it's one of the tunnels you can go down. Is um, I do feel pretty useless, and everybody needs to be serving me all the time, and I can't serve anybody else. I'm kind of useless here. I'm just a waste of flesh. I'm a waste of space. So uh, why why am I here? Like, why did uh, you spare that, me? Yeah, well, I actually have gotten to the place a couple of times where it's like, God, why didn't you just allow me to die? Because I was right there. I was right on death's door on three occasions. In fact, on one of those three occasions, um, they think I might have died. Was this after you went septic? Yeah. 
course, I wasn't conscious about any of any of this stuff. I heard about it later, but they were really worried that perhaps I had slipped away in the night when I was so septic. Um, but um, yeah, there have been times when I've actually wondered, well, God, why didn't you just let me go? Why didn't you just let me come home? I I didn't need to. I don't need to prove anything anymore. There, there's nothing left for me to prove. But you know, I've got a wife and four kids, and a dog who's barking in the background. Somebody's got to take care of them, and but I'm not taking care of them the way that I used to take care of them. I have to find a whole new way to take care of people now. So that's I can't your, take. Go ahead. That's your answer to the question. Yes. Well, I don't know if it's my answer to the question. I don't know if I've got an answer to the question. Like, why did God spare me? I couldn't honestly tell you the answer to that. This would be a great time to ask all your family and your friends. Well, I actually have asked my I have asked my wife this question. Why um why does she think that God spared me? She said because he didn't want me to live a life alone or her. This is her talking. She, yeah. He didn't want her to live a life on her own. All on her own. So she wasn't ready for me to be gone yet. And neither were some of my kids. Because, you know, I've still got a teenager st still at home. And she needs to have a daddy. She needs to have a daddy just as much as she needs anything else. In fact, she probably needs that even more. And so over this last year, for example, I've taken the relationship I have with her really seriously. So to the point where she now sits up at night and talks to me for a couple of hours. Which is a miracle sometimes. Yeah. We, when your teenage daughter comes and talks to you, just chatter, 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 chatter. Yeah. I mean, it's all important stuff. Don't get me wrong. It's all everything that's going on in her world, but that's, the, the amazing thing it's all the things that are important in her world she's sharing with me and her dad doesn't just reside in the missing leg yeah it's far more than just a appendage just far more than, yeah and and cancer doesn't define us no we have used it as an excuse to define so much of what we do that it has become a bit of an excuse can you expound on that? Well, there'll be times when we won't do things or where we don't feel like we want to be doing something. And the answer to the question of why you don't want to as well because of cancer or we're not doing this is because of cancer. Or if you talked about your experience with cancer, you'd have all these new opportunities. Say, for example, at school, you'd be given scholarship opportunities if you just talk about cancer. Cancer, 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 cancer. Everybody's had their fill of things related to cancer. Everybody's had their, their full share and then some of things related to it. No one wants to talk about it in our house anymore. So it's kind of the thing that not that we're sweeping it under the carpet, but people are just sick and tired of it. They just want to get on with life. And and often it's, as soon as you say that, it's an immediate death sentence in people's minds. Whereas it's, there's so many different kinds and so many different facets of it. It's not. 
Yeah, I think that's true for the most part. I, I think that's true. Um, whether it's a death sentence or not, I, well, I don't know if it's quite that extreme, but it's, it's certainly, it certainly creates a lot of anxiety, a lot of angst, right? It gets people's juices all weirded up and then they have to figure out what they're going to do with it. There's a, um, one of my neighbors is a couple years older than me and maybe four months ago, maybe five now, he was diagnosed with a stage four cancer in his lungs and it's in his sacrum and his adrenal glands. Oh man. And they've given him a year, but he was just like, Hey, my, my patriarchal blessing says I'm here for 20 more years. The oncologist says a year. I'm like, well, let's go for the 20. And he's had a really good outlook on it. And I, I think he's, I, I don't know what is, what the progress is, you know, as of today, but just his perspective has, is, you know, his attitude is amazing. Yeah. Like, well, it's not going to be, I'm not going to just let it. So he's fighting it pretty good. Well, good. Because you've got to, I've got a, got a couple of books here written by a doctor who was an oncologist for a very long time. And he talks about patients who make it and patients who don't make it through with cancer stuff. And he was all about it's the attitude and optimism with which they go in and approach it. And you've really got to be optimistic. Now I'm, I'm fortunate. My cancer was cut out of the flesh of my body before it had spread anywhere. It was, it was physically cut out. So I don't have to worry about the cancer anymore. I have to worry about dealing with the aftermath. But when I was facing the cancer itself, I felt incredibly peaceful about the whole of it. Yeah, I was at peace with the whole of that. It was, um, it's only been since the, you know, during these last three years of dealing with the physical realities of the limitations and the challenges associated with the missing body parts um, that challenges my attitude. But as far as cancer goes, no, my, I was, I was as calm as calm could be about cancer. Cause I knew if it would take me, it was going to take me. And I was okay with that. I was okay with my God. I was okay with myself. I was okay with my family. So if that's what happened, that's what happened, but it's not what happened. Instead, I'm, I'm resigned to live here some more. So now comes the really hard part. Just like, um, just like in the play, you've seen the play Hamilton, haven't you? No, I've started, but I didn't finish it. Uh, well, there's a place in the play where Hamilton is talking with George Washington and um, Hamilton is being a little reckless and uh, he wants to go lead these men into battle. And if he dies, they'll die in glory, right? This is the, this is every young soldier's perspective. If you, 
if you're valiant and brave and you go into battle and you die, well, you died and you've died bravely. You've died with glory and honor. And Washington has to pull him aside and say, hey, look, dying is easy. It's living that's hard. Because I could have died and everything would have been okay. I would have been all right. My family would have been all right for the most part, I think. But instead, I'm resigned to to the, be among the living, and that's the hard part. Sticking around, it is. It's that's the hard part. Because now you got to wake up every day and figure out what am I going to do with the day that's been given to me, and am I going to be a crotchety old man who is wondering why the hell he wasn't taken off this earth when God was given the chance to take him out or um, or I could figure out a way to work around all of that and find meaning and purpose and joy in doing something other than that so yeah there that's good dying is easy living is harder living is harder that's what I'm that's what I'm hearing but I don't know I, I don't I wish there was a way that those have gone on could communicate with us easier Mm. so we could know if all these you know if they were better off we always say that we say that to make ourselves feel better oh they're in a better place well yeah we've been taught that i don't know but i've got any memos from the other side how about you no no voice messages or texts anything some days you're like really? I haven't even gotten an out of office reminder yeah well, that would be sure nice it would be nice just to know a little bit more of it I don't know maybe we'll work on that book too yeah well I think I did die actually I have a vague yeah, you have some memory? dream yeah I was um, I have a I have a vague dream of what happened when I was in septic when I was septic and I was in the top of some very steep mountains covered with trees in a land, in a, in a land that I, I didn't know. I didn't recognize it among some people who spoke a language that I didn't understand. And uh, they were living in uh, this great big lodge in the tops of these mountains, but they were at war with people from down in the Valley who wanted to destroy them. But, they were more skilled and careful and they were able to protect themselves and fend themselves off from attack. And I was trying to get to my home. I wanted to go home to my home, but I couldn't go to my home. I was needing to stay there with these people for a while. And so then I got to the point where, okay, well then I want to stay with you. But they communicated to me in such a way that it said they said no you can't stay here you can't stay with us uh you know it was like hand gestures and shaking of head and stuff like that it says no you can't stay here you're here just here to rest you've got to go you've got to go and then that's about all i remember and next thing i know i woke up and i was in the hospital those sound similar to stories i've read of people who crossed over. So was I dead? I don't know. 
perhaps I was. The doctors were pretty sure that I had. And I wish I could remember more of that experience, but it makes me wonder if maybe maybe there wasn't something there. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, they were all tall and beautiful people. Spoke a language I didn't understand. Oh, so you're with all the women in your past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my present. <laughs> That's what it was. You were the planet of women. I think there was a song uh, yeah. called by ZZ Top called Planet of Women. That's Maybe right. that's where you were. That's uh, why you didn't understand the language. I do, they're beautiful, but I don't understand a lick <laughs> of what you're saying to me. <laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> I, think we, oh, I think we've unlocked a secret here. You were yep. there. <laughs> Well, thank you, man. So I, I, enjoy, uh, this is again, uh, it's great catching up, uh, on your story. It's inspiring and, uh, heartwarming and all those lovely other good adjectives. So well, thank you, Sharon. Hopefully I'm not here. letting you down. Hopefully I'm not let, hopefully the, the image I painted is not crumbling and you're finding a rusty old shed underneath a what used to be a nice bright painted building. You know, I'd love to get feedback from people on, on what the, the, you know, the interviews I've had with you, I don't get much. So I don't honestly know who it's touching or to what degree, but I'm putting it yeah. out there and maybe somebody finds value. If nothing else, I do. Somewhere in the ether, somebody's getting something out of it, and yeah, you are the man. I am. I'm getting something out of it. So if, if nothing else, it's it's you know it's therapy for me. Well, good to get inside your head. Well, just don't go trying anyone. to don't try to go die and figure it all out. Mm, not on the agenda today. Good. But, so anyway, well, well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it once again, and uh, you're we'll, welcome. We'll, we'll put the whole series together. Thank you again for listening to The Parish The Thought Show. We know you have many podcast options and appreciate that you have chosen us. If you love what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. And don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. If you hate what you hear, only tell us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from The Parish the Thought Show.